today on It's Time. Shows you what some people can do in the name of religion when they do not know the love of Christ. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going verse by verse through the New Testament book of Acts. So follow along as we join Pastor Mike. Book of Acts is where we'll be tonight, and uh, as we continue looking at our study through this book, The Power of the Holy Spirit in the Church, chapter 22 is where we're kind of anchor into tonight. There's a lot of things about chapter 21 that come over in chapter 22. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word tonight, we just ask you that your Holy Spirit would now come in a special way and speak to our hearts, and that you would remind each one of us that you have purposed for all of us, God, greater things than we would know in ourselves. And so we ask you now that as we read these words tonight, that they would encourage us, they would fortify our faith, and that, God, we would see your Holy Spirit move in the midst of sometimes rather difficult situations, but yet always to know you're there in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul the Apostle, called by God, amazing transformation in his life on his way to Damascus, To persecute Christians got laid out on the road by Jesus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Well, we know that uh, Paul had a lightning bolt conversion. He goes then to Damascus. There he catches up with Ananias, and there his hands are laid on him. He receives his sight and the Holy Spirit at the same time. And uh, God begins this amazing transformation in Saul's life. Finally, his name is changed to Paul, and reckoning the old way gone, God sent Saul, now Paul, to the Gentiles. However, Paul never really got out of his soul his love for his home people in his homeland. And so, because he felt an unction, he decided to go back to Jerusalem And there he presents himself to the church, or I should say to the synagogue there, and a riot breaks out. Well, in this riot, the Romans come in. They were going to tear Paul in two, and a riot breaks out. The Romans grab Paul, separate him from the crowd. They really didn't know what he did or what he'd said, In fact, the Romans thought he was an Egyptian from some time back that led a rebellion. And so now we find Paul motioning to his people that he wants to speak uh, there in the synagogue and explain what he was all about. Well, chapter 22, verse 1 starts off with what he's going to now say to this crowd that earlier wanted to destroy him. Now being you might say, in chains, uh, bound by the Romans, standing there, addressing the Hebrew crowd, this is what he says. Men and brethren and fathers, 
Hear my defense before you now. Now, notice Paul in his speech, even though earlier they wanted to kill him, he still addresses them very cordially. And I believe that all of us listening tonight will be, in one way or another, in our lives, under the gun. And we will be where we want to spout off, you might say, from the flesh, rather than being led by the Spirit. I believe Paul is very much led by the Spirit here. And though they, just a few minutes earlier, wanted to kill him, he didn't stand up and say, you bunch of goofed up people. He addresses them very cordially. And I think this is very important. Men, brethren, and fathers. I think that's Uh, again, really shows Paul's real heart and love for his own people. Hear my defense before you now. The word for defense here is apologia. And this is where we get the word apologetics. A lot of times people uh, wonder what that means. Uh, It's like we're apologizing for something. But actually, the real Greek word, as we go into really examine what it means, is simply defense for the faith. So apologetics or apologia is really our defense against what you might say an attack of the enemy. And so he says, hear my defense before you now or my apologia before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Now, uh, first of all, uh, they thought he was a Gentile, really turns out to be a Hebrew and could speak Hebrew. The Romans thought he was an Egyptian, and he turns out to be a Roman citizen and could speak Hebrew, and so really, nobody really understood who Paul really was. And isn't that the way it always is? The world generally doesn't understand what you and me are all about when it really comes down to it. Well, when they heard him speak in the Hebrew tongue, that was the bridge that they needed. Now, from what we gather from this original word here, the Hebrew tongue, it wasn't the Old Testament type Hebrew. It was kind of a vulgar type of of uh, Hebrew that they spoke. It was a mixture of of several languages. Uh, kind of, I heard it described kind of as a is is Italian uh, and the Latin. They're not really related, but you could understand what a person was saying. Well. Paul speaks to the people in their present-day language, their present-day understanding. And so when he did this, they all kept more of the silent. And he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarshish of Sicilia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous towards God as you are are all today. Um, Looking at this, he says, I am a Jew. Uh, This is why he said this right off, not only speaking in Hebrew, but now uh, speaking, saying that I'm a Jew. Earlier, if you remember, some people said he was a Gentile that came into the temple, and that's what partially caused part of the riot. So he very clearly now declares to them that he's Jewish. Second of all, he was born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was, you might say, the doctrine of Old Testament doctrine, according to the strictest of the Pharisees. He was a person that was highly respected by every person within the Sanhedrin because he was the one, you might say, they looked to, uh, he was like, you might say, the judge or the spiritual leader. 
Now notice what it says. It says, when I, uh, he says, I was brought up at, at the feet of Gamaliel. Now that is a place where a servant goes to learn from his master. We remember Mary was found at the feet of Jesus. We find Paul at the feet of, of, of um, Gamaliel. So taught according to the strictness of our father's law. He was very clear to say that he knew what the law was. Uh, and understanding it as such. Then he goes on and he says, and was zealous towards God as you are all today. Now, it is possible to have faith without knowing God. It is possible to be zealous without having a real purpose. And this is a problem sometimes that we find oftentimes even with religions today because people will say things like, well, you know, they're just a really religious person. Ain't that good enough? The answer is no. Because you can be sincere, but you can be sincerely wrong. And so therefore, it's not being sincere. It's knowing what you believe is what's going to make the difference in your life. And so he says that he was zealous like you all are as well. And he goes on and he says, And I persecuted this way, which was the name of the early church, to the death. Binding and delivering into prison both men and women. Now, this shows you really the hard-heartedness of Paul. That he had no mercy upon women at all. And not only that he would bind the men, but women and deliver them to prison was the whole idea. So it shows us that he was very, you might say spiritually blind, but he could see with his eyes. He didn't really know what his real purpose was. He wasn't an ignorant man either. Again, being schooled by Gamaliel, being taught in the the law. So very clearly, uh, he was not just your average guy. This guy was, you might say, the Ivy League boy. And he also says that it was backed up because people knew who Paul was. Paul was a guy that was a go-get-it-done kind of guy that went out and persecuted the church. And just so anybody that was in that audience listening, they'd say, oh yeah, we remember hearing about him. We know who he is. And so he says, on also, the high priest bears me witness and all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Again, to be punished because they believed in Jesus. Now, remember, Saul, at this point, was believing that he was doing God a favor by delivering men and women into prison. Talk about spiritual blindness at a magnitude level. Shows you what some people can do in the name of religion when they do not know the love of Christ. Well, then he goes on and he says, And it happened as I journeyed and came near to Damascus about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Here, Jesus now identifies with his church. You see, Jesus wasn't at Damascus. Jesus had ascended to heaven, but yet when he addresses Paul, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus of Nazareth. Well, Paul was going 
to Damascus to arrest men and women who were in the way, who, who believed in Christ. And Jesus said, you're really persecuting me. It's, it's noteworthy that Jesus identifies to the point with his church that it isn't brothers and sisters that Paul is persecuting. It is actually Jesus himself. And friends, that ought to make every one of us feel really good. That God identifies with you and me that closely. That ought to bring a lot of encouragement to your heart. Because sometimes we feel all alone. In fact, sometimes even doing the will of God, we feel alone. In fact, sometimes doing God's will, we feel that no one else even cares. Jesus does. And notice here, he identifies with the church. So he said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. Now those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. Now another place, Paul says that they did hear a voice. Here it says they didn't hear a voice. And people say, aha, a discrepancy in the Bible. No, actually, when you look at the original language here, it's that they didn't hear the phonetics. They heard the words, they heard something, but they did not hear the phonetics. They did not hear, so to them, it was... Saul, on the other hand, knew what was being said. So in one place, he refers that they did not hear because they didn't understand what they were hearing. Another place, he simply said they heard, but they didn't understand. So just so you know that that is why it comes across that way sometimes. And so it's, it gets lost sometimes from the Greek to the English. And so you can defend your faith if somebody throws that at you. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise, go to Damascus, and there you will be told all the things which are appointed for you to do. Now, we've been over this many times, whether Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, or any other time we're together, that God generally does not give us the entire plan at once. He gives us a little bit at a time. And I don't know exactly all the reasons why. I know God loves to have fellowship with you and me. And so maybe God just tells us enough so we'll keep coming back for more. I like that. It may very well be that if he told us too much, we'd forget some of it and mess it up. That's possible. Another reason is that if God told us everything at once, we might think we could do it on our own without his help. And so I think the constant companion, the closeness of a relationship with God where we continually go back to him and say, okay, God, what's next? I believe what that does is that's where we continue growing in our relationship with God in that fellowship that God wants to have with each one of us. And so he said, go to Damascus and the rest will be told to you later. I I really believe that God makes it pretty simple. In other words, if he gave us too many commands at once, ah, let's see, ah, what what do I got to do next? What do I got to do next? What do I got to do next? See, a lot of us realize that God gives us a command And until we do that command, he's not going to give us the next command. In fact, by not doing the first command, it will mess up the rest of the commands. You say, how's that? Well, like this. God had told Moses to go to Pharaoh and to set the children of Israel free. The Bible says as he was on the way to go to talk to Pharaoh. The Bible says God sought to kill him. 
people will go, wow, you start out doing God's will and this is what you get? Well, here's the problem. The first command that God had actually told Moses to do was to circumcise his son on the eighth day. And he didn't do that. Now, we don't exactly know the reason why other than the reaction that Zephorah, his wife, gave him when he wanted to do that. And she became quite violent at him because he wanted to do this. And so the Bible tells us that God sought to kill him. Well, the question would be, why? Well, if you're afraid to stand up to your wife over something of the covenant between God and the Hebrew nation is circumcision, if you're not willing to stand up to your wife, how will you stand up basically to the prince of the world, Pharaoh? First things first. So many times people will say, well, where do I go from here in my Christian experience? Well, what's God showing you? Well, if you're shacked up, get out of the shack up. If you're doing drugs, stop doing drugs. Do what God tells you to do, and then he'll tell you the next thing to do. A lot of times we like to sit back and say, you know, God, I want the entire plan right now. I want the whole enchilada right now. And God says, I'm not serving three-piece meals, three-course meals right now, one thing at a time. Any more than that, either you'll forget, you'll get it wrong, you won't keep me in the plan, you'll run ahead of yourself. I believe this is one of the reasons why God does that, because he loves to have fellowship with you and me. So go to Damascus. There you will be told all the things that are appointed for you to do. Notice if you have a Bible with um, red letters in it. The words that Jesus said are in red. You'll notice those are in red. And I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of neat. That just because Jesus died on the cross, ascended, or rose from the dead, ascended on the, uh, on, and, uh, rose from the dead on the third day and ascended, doesn't mean that Jesus has done talking to his people. <laughs> I like that. Well, over a period of three years, Saul was getting the instructions of what he was going to do next. So he had to have some time to grow, and that's what God allowed him to do. Well, verse 11, And since I could not see for the glory of that light, and being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to Damascus. What a difference. Earlier, he was spiritually blind, and he could physically see. Now he physically can't see, but now his spiritual eyes are open. (laughs) What a change. Whatever it was that blinded him changed the way he reacted. And then one, Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having good testimony with all Jews who dwelt there. He came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And that same hour I looked up at him. He received his sight back. Now, we remember when Ananias laid his hands on him, as we go back to the conversion of Saul earlier in the book of Acts, the Bible says that they prayed for him. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says something like scales fell off of his eyes. It doesn't say he spoke in tongues at that point. It says something like scales fell off of his eyes. Now, I believe that if uh, the apostle uh, Saul at that point, or Paul, had spoken in tongues, I'm sure the Bible would have recorded it for us, being it recorded something like scales fell off his eyes and he spoke in tongues. It doesn't say that. Now, it does tell us farther up in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, I speak with tongues more than you all. So evidently somewhere after that 
I-scale experience and 1 Corinthians chapter 14, God gave him that gift of tongues, which also tells me that God adds to our gifts along the road of life as we do what God has called us to do. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, desire the best gifts. What are the best gifts? I think it matters what God has called you to do. If you're an evangelist, the word of knowledge would be really good. In other words, you could, you could talk to a group of people and say, somebody here has this particular issue going on in their life. And not something hokey like you see these guys that infiltrate a crowd with, with microphones and, and earphones in their ear interviewing the crowd and, and doing those kinds of corrupt things, but actually a genuine word from the Lord. I think the word of knowledge is a good thing. If you're a missionary, the gift of miracles would be really good because then that's a demonstration of the power of God. If you're a person that cares about people and you're into counseling, uh, I I believe uh, that the gift of helps is a great gift to have. There's a lot of gifts, and I believe God has them for every single person called by the name of Christ. It's just what gift God has for you. And if you don't know, you might ask people around you, if you've asked God to fill you with the Spirit, what you, what they think it might be. I have found generally that because we live, move, and exist in Him and have our being, as Luke tells us, um, I believe that, that um, most of the time because we live in Christ, our gifts are in Christ, We don't recognize a lot of times the gifts that we have, but they're quite obvious and evident to everybody else around us. Because they know, they can see that there's something supernaturally beyond a normal person's ability to do certain things, and they see that gift, and they know that that's not something that you just always see in an individual. It's something that the Holy Spirit has invoked in that person, given to that person for the furtherment or the betterment of the kingdom of heaven. So, if you don't know what your gift is and you prayed to be filled with the Spirit, I believe this is why being in fellowship is a good thing because you can say, what gifts do you think I have? And they'll surprise you with what they might tell you. And then sometimes we think, yeah, I guess that is right. I guess, why, why do I have that ability to do that? That's not something I went to school for. It isn't something that I, that I tried to conjure up on my own. It's just something that kind of happened naturally. And I believe that's why a lot of times we don't recognize the gifts that God gives us with maybe the exception of tongues. And if you have that gift, that's wonderful. I don't believe every person that's filled with the Spirit speaks in tongues. Uh, but if you have that gift, that's, that's, that's great. But I think that's why the body of Christ is important, that we encourage one another, recognizing the blessing of God in each other's life. So what gifts do you have? Well, it's more obvious generally to others than you because you just live in that gift. Uh, we don't recognize those things oftentimes. Well, he tells us here that he was led by the hand who were with me, and I came to Damascus. And Ananias came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And that same hour, I looked up at him. And then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will, and see the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witnesses, you will be his witness to all men, of what you have seen and heard. Now, what do you see here? 
The same thing as we said before. Generally, other people recognize the gift of God in you more than you recognize it. I believe this is why fellowship is important. The second thing we find here, and if you like to mark things in your Bible, verse 14, it was Ananias who recognized the call of God in Saul's life. Saul didn't recognize it. Saul didn't know that. All he was told by God is to go to Damascus and it'll be told you there what you need to do. But here we find Ananias defining for Saul what his purpose in the kingdom of God would be. He said, God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will, the just one, and hear his voice of his mouth for you will be witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Thanks for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse-by-verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening. And tune in next time for It's Time.